welcome to Icon Underground Radio for the week of April 20th, 2016. I'm Jen. I'm Alex. And I'm David. Yay! So, our, our big topic for this week uh, is going to be convention-related. Uh, we are going to talk about BotCon, possible futures, possible trademarks having been dug up, possible mm-hmm. other things. Uh, but first... We will discuss a couple other points of interest. Uh, one being that this has been a, a I'll say a week, an interesting yeah, week, week for uh, for music. Uh, okay. The compilation that we discussed a few weeks ago uh, that was announced a few weeks ago of assorted music from Sony that's just under the Hasbro. Transformers brand, it it feels kind of like they wanted to put out one of those crappy movie tie-in albums, but they didn't have a movie this year. <laughs> it, it is available. It is available on Google Play and, I assume, Apple-related things. I have not been able to bring myself to listen to it yet. Okay. Have, have you guys listened to any of it? I- no. I listened to the first two that were previewed earlier. That was it. Uh-huh. I haven't listened to any of the rest of it since. I kind of forgot about it. <laughs> You're like, yep, that was definitely some music. Yeah. Well, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't enough to make me go out and buy it. But I don't really buy music anymore. Yeah. I'll, I'm sure at some point I'll get around to, like, listening to it when I'm going out and about, because I do a lot of walking places, and, you know, that's good for listening to podcasts and stuff, but, ah, I don't know. I mean, like I said, the the most exciting thing to me was just that Bush was still around. Uh, I I guess because Gavin Rossdale and Gwen Stefani divorced, so Bush got back together. Yay. <laughs> I guess. You know, those people. Like, all I listen to anymore is indie folk and Viking metal, so I don't, I don't know what anybody wants from me. But I'll, I guess I'll give it a listen and see if anyone under the age of like 24 should bother with it. Cause, yeah, it, it definitely seems like that. I mean, it, it does, it seems like bands that Sony wanted to promote in something. Yeah. Which I think is a lot of how those unreli- those inspired by the movie soundtracks come together. Uh, it's just, you know, the label has some bands they want to promote. Uh, yep. the, the much more exciting news is that apparently rights have finally been secured uh, for not only the original Generation 1 cartoon Transformers score, uh, but also for various other Sunbow, Hasbro cartoon stuff. Yeah, that uh, kind of goes hand in hand since it wasn't at least some of the Transformers soundtrack used for G.I. Joe and some other things. Yeah, some there, there was music. a lot of, there was a lot of crossover. I, I am personally looking forward to having the Cold Slither song as my ringtone. Oh, yes! <laughs> Deep cuts there. <laughs> Yeah, but okay, so it's just for G1 then. Oh, man, I want some Beast Wars and Beast Machines, too. Especially Beast Wars would be really good. Uh, long, long ago, a friend of mine went through and, uh, like, isolated a lot of the audio tracks from Beast Wars and just burned it and gave it out to friends. And that was, that was some good listening. Uh, Beast Wars had amazing music, uh, but I, I think the more exciting thing for me personally, and I'll have to see if this is actually part of the deal or if it's just the incidental music, but if the actual, like, songs from Gem are going to be released, Ooh. I I am going to be super excited. <laughs> You're not the only one. Yeah, that's, I, I imagine, like, large swaths of people my age are going to be very excited. I mean, I used to, like, mail away for the cassette tapes of that stuff and, like, tape them with a 
great big brick of a tape recorder in front of the speaker of the TV and yeah. <laughs> but I, I guess we'll, I'll, I'll have to do a little more digging. It's not really relevant to, to our news program specifically, but I'm sure there's a lot of crossover audience there. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, all that. I think the, the interesting thing with G1 was that in season three, they would like mix that stock Sunbow incidental music with movie score music. <laughs> yeah. Just sort of, yeah, just sort of randomly intersperse them and not like mix them like DJ mixing, but just <laughs> like using them. Alternate between. At very, yeah, using them both. Uh, I, and that's something else that I guess that was, there was some sort of limited edition record that was given out at BotCon at the concert oh, that yes. was actually the score. Hmm. Yeah, I think that was the four disc or four side thing again, maybe. But it was like limited to like a hundred or something. It was, I looked at somebody, somebody posted pictures of it with the track list and it was not the original soundtrack oh. soundtrack. Okay. It was actually the score and I think, <laughs> I'd have to double check with my copy, but I think it was actually the same as the score that they released through 3H years and years and years ago, oh, yeah. which has always, I know it had uh, the last song on it, which was just a demo song that Vince DiCola did sort of to get the job <laughs> that didn't actually end up getting used, but he put on there. And I, I definitely noted that that was also the last track on that record <laughs> that went out at BotCon. Uh, but yeah, that, that was limited to like a hundred copies, but it was not... The, the soundtrack soundtrack it was actually the score which made me super sad because I want that on vinyl so bad <laughs> but I'm hoping that that means that that's going to become available too that would be nice just the fact that they had those available at BotCon I'm really hoping means that they're going to release the original score too because in Transformers the movie the, the original cartoon sort of varied wildly in in how much commitment various people were putting into it, but the music was without a doubt just amazing. Hmm. Uh, so so having Vince Ticola's original score available to more people than just people who either people who either went to one of the the earlier 3H conventions or other people who have I would hope something like that is out there on BitTorrent. Presumably it's out there somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I have my my own moral code I've developed regarding those sorts of things, but I think if something like that is out of print, yeah. it, it, it's, it's fair to make it available, but then you should actually buy an official copy if it comes back into print. You can yeah. find it. Yes. There's definitely an argument to be made for preservationism. Yes. yes. And I... You know, I'm the sort of person who worked in a used bookstore for a long time. I have strong feelings on preservationism. Uh, so that's, I, I would love to see that widely available again. You know, even though I have my copy, I'd love to get it on vinyl. Even though I suppose the, the idea of such heavily electronic music on vinyl is yes. a little odd. Yeah, it is kind of weird. I just, <laughs> just give me a nice digital version, I'll be fine. I, I think something like that, it's okay on, on digital, but still. The idea, the idea remains. Uh, so yeah, that's the big music news. Uh, we also have a comic out this week. Uh, we've got formerly Robots in Disguise number fifty-two. Yay! Which has been good lately. Continuing some all hail Optimus. Yay! So all hail the tyrant Optimus. Yeah. Gosh, I'm still having complicated feelings about that. Yeah, it's. Odd, but this issue does deal with those complicated feelings. Unfortunately, as soon as you open it up, you look at whatever nice cover you've got. You turn the page when you get to the actual comic. It's Livio Raymondelli art again. It's your favorite. <laughs> it's I've... David's favorite, Livio Raymondelli. It just oh, it's flat. Textures over flat and colors that are flat. I, 
think he uses more shades this this time. He's coloring a little better. Like there may be there more are, than three different colors in a panel. There are actually some colors, which yes. is which is nice. It's more than just and gray I think and blues. Probably the biggest the biggest summary of the problems with Livio Raymondelli's art would be uh, an issue of the Dark Cybertron crossover, where at the end of the issue it was supposed to be this huge reveal that uh, they had Cup. Except you couldn't actually tell who it was. Yeah, there's yep. <laughs> a little bit less of that here, but it, it's still like you don't care who people are because they're all flat wedges. Pretty much every character's flat panels, out of proportion, vanishing points don't always make sense. Every once in a while, I, there's a character with round shapes, and they look okay, kinda. I think his storytelling is getting better, but on the other hand, I don't think a professional publisher should be printing people whose storytelling is getting better. Yeah. Well, that should be true, but that's that's the thing that that still comes up, because you got to start somewhere, but I just just read the comic and treated the art as like, if it was a Fumetti comic, I didn't care. (laughs) This was a very wordy issue, too, so... Yeah, so that helped. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of things being spoken. Uh, Although I'm not sure if it's just the art or, well, or that what actually happens in it. It doesn't seem like much happens at all. Other than the fact this that... This issue could basically be replaced with a uh, animated gif of uh, Joe Blue saying, I've made a huge mistake about wearing an Optimus Prime helmet. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Just one of those gifts, like you see on Tumblr sometimes, where somebody's just put like a head from the comic over someone else's head in an animated gif. So yeah. just a gif of that with Optimus Prime's head over the top of it. Yeah, exactly. Optimus has yeah. made a mistake. He knows he's made a mistake. Everybody on Cybertron knows he's made a mistake and is against him. Oh, and Starscream's enjoying the heck out of it. It's fun. I do like Starscream gloating about how now he doesn't even have to lie to turn people against someone. I know. So, so the Starscream bits I was really enjoying because he was loving it. Oh, oh yeah. Optimus is horrible. This is the delight. <laughs> I, I do like Starscream in this. He's Just... a good, bad politician because he's a fictional politician. Wow. Uh, Oh, there's one spot where Optimus is trying to convince Soundwave to be on his side, but Soundwave hates the Primes, and mm-hmm. there's this sequence of scenes where it would have been so nice if someone, other artist, could have shown emotion on Soundwave's little blank face, but Olivia Raymondelli does is make him look down, and you notice the top of Soundwave's head is round, which I've never noticed before, which I think may only be Olivia Raymondelli's version. And he looks up and it's like, yeah, sure, whatever, Prime. Yeah, it's, it's not like we we have artists who can actually have faceless characters emoting. I mean, gosh. Yeah, uh, Milne could do it. Milne can make a face with no nose, no mouth, no eyes emote. Livia Raymondelli just has some shapes interacting and looking down at the floor. Yeah. And I'm not even sure they're looking down at the floor, because a lot of the times when he does shots of characters, it's top-down, so you just see their head and shoulders. So maybe it's just yeah. a different camera angle, not him looking down. This <laughs> ah, comic. He, he draws robots like buildings. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I not think... like somebody who's good at drawing buildings. <laughs> no, no, because the they is... change. Like, a page before that, like, th- there's uh, Thundercrackers behind Prime, and you see the two whatever, the nose cone conning tower thingies, on the side of his head in one panel, half a page down, those things are stuck right on either side of his head, behind his his ear flap things. They change position between panels. Inconsistency on the same damn page. I like that shit. It's it's nice to have some art commentary for once, because normally I'm just like, words, 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 story, story, plot. So thanks, guys. I, I guess he draws aileron okay, because aileron is all round shapes, and he can't do just blocks. <laughs> and there's one panel where she's making a weird face that I swear he must have traced from somewhere else. 
Because it's a good face. Well, at least it's not like uh, that Marvel guy who just draws everything over porn. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's more than one guy, but it's mostly just the one guy. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's better than than uh, Greg Land, but barely. <laughs> I, I think the thing is, Livio Raimondelli is a good cover artist. Yes, he's fine. He's fine in a single page cover image. That's okay. Or like back in, in the... the was it the Dark Cybertron arc when it was on the the Dead Universe? His art mm-hmm. worked for that. It was a different universe, but for the rest of no, it does not work for standard Transformers the way they are now. I I do like that. There's one panel where Galvatron's just watching some sort of video feed of Prime just puncturing a conehead's head off, which is pretty cool. And it's it's not an exceptionally dynamic picture, though I think that kind of just makes it kind of amusing. No. Uh, and I don't understand why RC and Galvatron have to fight each other every time they talk. I mean, is because this, th- is this some kind of kink? To, yes, or? it's definitely a kink. They're, they're taking out their remote, romantic uh, energies by fighting each other. I guess. I mean, good for them and all, but... Yeah, that's... but because they're they're robots, they can't hate fuck, so they just beat each other up. Yeah, so so it's like uh, Spotlight Megatron. Yeah, which is basically the same concept. Yeah, so it's it, it's a comic. I hope someone who can draw robots good is doing the next issue. I don't. I you don't mean, ever like, want to see Olivia Raymondelli art ever again, and they keep throwing like, it back in my face. Like the perfectly capable Andrew Griffith. Andrew Griffith's good. Alex Milne is the best. He has replaced Nick Roche. Sorry, Nick Roche. We really want that next issue of of The Sins of the Wreckers. We're eagerly waiting for it, but right now I really love Milne. And then there's Roche, and Griffith is down below that. Even give Josh Burcham. Let him do an issue. His art's a little odd. It's more like jaggy, kind of like Transformers animated style. But it's more interesting than Livia Raymondelli. I, I would say it's a style not too unlike Livio Raymondelli, except with actual color and character and stuff. Yes, it's more dynamic. It's the same sort of level of stylized. Yeah, because but... he does a lot of flat panels too, but he tries for more interesting poses than Livio Raymondelli, who's everyone sitting or just standing. Is he doesn't really do even the fight scene with Galvatron and RC? It's very static. Yeah. yeah very... It, it, Centered composition for a lot of it. Yeah. You know who he needs to read? You know who did a 2D, very flat, blocky art style well? It's Jeff Sr. Yes. He needs to read some Jeff Sr. and see if you're going to have that style, how you need to do it. you got to commit to it. Yeah, but Livia Raymondelli colors his own stuff, which I think might be the problem. Yeah, that doesn't help. No, because if somebody else colored it, might be able to make more, have more fun with it, but just, no. I almost feel like the color is really part of the style, though. It is, but that, that style is just like flat colors with like texture that everything looks like dirty marble. Everything. Well, yes. yes. What I'm saying is that without that coloring, it might look even worse. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe, but if, if we, we get a really good colors, we might have some senior-ish art. I, I like this. We don't get David having such a hate on very often. No. no. Yeah, I'm back. What did I miss? Uh, Not much. David I was just ranting having a hate on Livio Raymondelli. It, it was mostly because I was surprised that he was back on the comic. I was just... Yeah. <sighs> I mean, I don't think your comparison of uh, Raymondelli and Josh Burcham is very fair. No, no, it's it's, like, it's not a one-to-one comparison because. I like Bertram stuff. Bertram is is a, a really good colorist. His own artwork is just different from what we're used to, but not as different as Raymond Deli. I mean, it's definitely cartoonier, and the stuff that's kind of confusing and frustrating about Raymond Deli's artwork actually works in Bertram's artwork's favor. Yeah. Because Bertram's got this nice, cartoony kind of... Uh, I don't think impressionistic is the right word, but it's a very loose style. Yeah. And then Raymond Deli is just doing this super 
detailed, rendered, stiff style that does not play to what he apparently tries to do for line work. Yeah. I, I like, I like James Roberts. <laughs> I like words. That's my contribution. Anywho, it's, it's a comic. Next. Yeah. It is an issue of a comic. I think next week we may have some more than meets the eye to discuss. So, yay! Hooray for that! Uh, the preview is up and available for more than meets the eye number fifty-two. If people want to get some spoils on, yeah, because it's usually like four pages in the middle of the comic, and I don't want it out of sequence. I've, I've got no. It's at the beginning this time. It it is at the beginning this time. So you say. I, I've just stopped reading most of the previews. Every once in a while, I'll just look at them, but I don't care. Yeah, this one's this one's mostly just the the ratchet drift ship. Then again, if so. I did look at previews, I would have been prepared for Raymond Deliard. It's, <laughs> it's just four pages. Really, all you need to do is go to Tumblr and go to the search box and type in the word "dratchet," and that's oh, effectively the preview. Do I need to keep safe search on? No. Turn that safe search off. I don't know about that. <laughs> what is the safe search? Anywho, other news? Uh, one small bit of comic news. Okay. Apparently, uh, Rodimus and Rom Space Knight are bros now. Yes! Yay! Are they gonna bro fist? They've already they are bro fisting on the cover to issue fifty five of More Than Meets the Eye. Well, one of the covers. Oh, I saw the I saw the robots and the, the all hail Optimus one, but I did not see the ro- or the More Than Meets the Eye one. So I will have to look that up because that's pretty exciting. Yeah, alternate subscription covers because IDW now has the rights to Rom Space Knight and Micronauts, which is going to be oh. weird removed from Marvel proper. But hey, more Rom comics, so yay. Yeah, the is such a weird legal situation. Yes. Yeah. But go on, explain to our listeners who may not be familiar with this. All right, so Rom Space Knight is an action figure that Hasbro brought over to the United States in much a similar way to uh, how they brought over the Transformers. Oh, was it Hasbro? No, it, I thought it was it some was, other company. It was somebody. Parker Brothers, I think. Which is owned by Hasbro. Yes, which is owned by Hasbro well, now. Back then they were just, well, the game people, the board game stuff. Mostly. Yes. That, that I think is relevant in how... Confusing His rights ended up as yeah. interesting as they did. So go ahead. So, they kind of did the same thing that the uh, Marvel Comics Group people who were kicking off all these new properties did with the uh, Transformers, with G.I. Joe, with basically they started off being part of the Marvel Universe, and then, like, four issues in, they realized, hey, if we're going to keep doing this, maybe we should keep this separate. And nobody noticed with Rom Space Knight. Yes. I, I would like to note that the first issue of Rom Space Knight came out in December of 1979, according to Wikipedia. Ah, uh, yeah, that's why. So it, it was does predate uh, their work with Hasbro yeah. significantly. Yeah. Uh, it was by... Bill Mantlo and Sal Bushima, Woo-hoo! which is a pretty good uh, pedigree there. A really good yeah. pedigree. Those guys together are great. Yeah. Which is why and so many people have been clamoring. Amazing world building. Yeah. And it's weird because that world building stuff is still in the Marvel universe, just not with Rom in it. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I've been listening to Jay and Miles explain the X Men uh, for a while now, and they were mentioning uh, late '80s X Men story that involved the Dire Wraiths were a big enemy of Rom. Yeah. And because so, Rom yeah. has been taken out, the Dire Wraiths are still a reasonably big part of the Marvel Universe, because at one point they were tied into, like, being related to the Skrulls or something. Really? And there are still Space Knights, although I don't think they can call them Space Knights. Not anymore or something, but Rom has been taken out, although Rom still exists in his human form in the Marvel Universe. So there's no Rom, but there is Rom. It's Weird. But this will be Rom as Rom without Dire Wraiths. Huh. The, the relevant thing as far as the, as far as the rights go is that basically, you know, Parker Brothers owned the rights to the toy and generally 
what happens with that sort of thing is that anything Marvel did, certainly the case with uh, Transformers, was that anything that Marvel did with Transformers was technically owned by Hasbro. And that explains a couple things. It explains why Circuit Breaker's first appearance was technically in some random panel of one issue of Secret Wars. Uh, and it explains the existence of a Death's Head comic strip called High Noon Tex. Uh, brag, I have the original art to that comic <laughs> on my wall. Uh, and that was something that was created uh, at the time uh, Marvel UK was doing a sort of magazine-y sort of book called Strip, uh, which I believe was sort of their UK equivalent to Marvel Age here in the U.S., uh, and so Marvel would retain the rights to Death's Head instead of it going over to Hasbro. Uh, Simon Furman and Brian Hitch did this one-page story uh, that was just a little thing that happens. You can you can look it up online. I'm pretty sure it's uh, a scan of it's on uh, his Wikipedia page. Uh, that they ran that in strip, so that would be his first appearance. His first appearance would be in a Marvel book, and therefore he could then appear in Transformers. Simon Furman could use him in Transformers without him becoming Hasbro property. Uh, so the thing with Rom, part of it seems to be that they their agreement with Parker Brothers wasn't quite the same, so stuff that they created for Rom could still bleed over into other Marvel comics, uh, which is why you see the dire wraiths show up sometimes. Uh, according to Wikipedia specifically, Marvel Comics no longer possesses the licensing rights to Rom from Parker Brothers, so he's not allowed to appear in his armor f- armored form. Yeah, or be so called Rom. And, but, like, the original promo video from Parker Brothers, like, did the long speechy thing, maybe we'll link it. Like, Rom the Space yeah. Knight. Rom the Wraith Slayer. So the Wraiths were already there from Parker yeah. Brothers. That, but somehow they're now all Marvel. Well, I guess Dire Wraiths is slightly different from Wraiths, but only in a nitpicking level. Yeah. So, uh, similarly, the big complication with Micronauts was that basically Marvel was writing comics about them even after the company that produced the toys went out of business. Yeah. Uh, in that case being Mego. So those those rights are also really weird. Uh, but yes, in this case, it looks like the contract, the rights contract, was just very, I guess, very specific in being very non-specific in a way. It just said just this, you know, just this likeness. Uh, so that's that's why the rights have gotten a little tricky is basically Rom, you know, like you said, Parker Brothers was purchased by Hasbro. Technically, Rom himself is Hasbro property, but literally nothing else about him seems to be. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so. And it feels like there's been a decade of brinksmanship where Hasbro's like, we really want to bring back Rom. How? Yeah. Even if you just not bring back Rom, put out a trade of the old comic, which is great. That would be nice. I've got a whole bunch of those I dug out of used bookstore comic bins, and yeah, it was a very good series. Though I guess uh, Hasbro must have Micronauts now, because that's something that they've been talking to Paramount about doing the whole, like... Yeah, there might be a Micronauts movie in the way, maybe? So... I was pretty sure Micronauts was originally Mego, but on the other hand, there is something about how Microman, which was the Japanese series that Micronauts was based on, was apparently connected to Henshin Robo, which was actually just Takara's licensed version of 12-inch G.I. Joe's. Yeah, so it's it's like the toys are still... (laughs) Takara has the license to the toys, most of the toys anyway, because there's... The Baron Karza is actually a robot Jig, mm-hmm. which I'm not, I don't know if Takara has the rights to make Jig toys anymore, but Baron Karza was at least in one of the promo images for the new Micronauts comic, still looking as a black repaint of Jig with a different head. Yeah. <laughs> By which you mean some sort of freaky, freaky centaur thing. Yeah, well, th- that's one of the versions. 
It's not a normal combination for Jeeg, but yes, he can have a, a horsey bottom. Oh. And so, so basically the moral of the story is toy and comic book rights from the 70s and very early 80s are super complicated. Yes. When the companies go out or of business, they get absorbed. Or at least they will continue to be super complicated until Disney just buys everyone. Yes. Yeah, at this point, Disney should probably just buy Hasbro, since Hasbro also... Actually, doesn't Hasbro own some significant portion of Lucasfilm or something? Oh, there was... Other way around, I believe Hasbro traded, uh, like, 10% of their shares to George Lucas in exchange for the uh, rights to do the uh, episode one toys and from there on yeah, there's a for all the good that did somewhere. Well, well man has for a lot of money well I, suppose. I I admit even I bought a couple of those uh, anyway so the moral of the story is Rom he's yes, Space Knight he's apparently bros with Rodimus now on a cover a variant cover uh, this is probably not going to actually be reflected in any sort of story stuff no, not yet, but we know eventually we're going to get a crossover if it lasts more than, like, 12 issues. Yes. The end. Which yeah, brings us... if you us... have some money, donate to Bill Mantle's support fund. Oh, yeah. Yes. Always, always recommends, because he is a large part of why those early comics were so great, and why people even still care about ROM. Oh, he's why I love comics to a great degree. Yes, because believe me, if if not for... The actual superstar work on those early comics, no one would give two craps about Rom Space Knight. Uh, though that talk of crossing over Hasbro properties brings us to our big news topic, our big discussion topic for the week. Yes. Which is the possible future of BotCon, uh, which actually we were going to have a whole lot to say about all by itself. And, we might still and then our friend place. Monzo over at TF Wiki. Uh, he seems to have unearthed something that may be super relevant to that. Yeah. Uh, which is now there, Hasbro has applied for a trademark for Hascon. I can Hascon? Dun dun dun. So. I mean, Not only did they apply for it, they applied for it on Friday. <laughs> wow. Okay. Monza's getting the work Ooh. done, man. Uh, yeah, that's, that's very interesting given that that's I, I would say that is approximately a week from the last BotCon <laughs> that they have now applied for that, which makes me sort of wonder if there was something in the Fun Pub stuff that prevented them from applying for that before the last BotCon. Uh, I don't know, or maybe they were just waiting on something. Who knows? Who knows? I don't know. Yeah. It seems like they had maybe multiple different scenarios kind of... Yeah. On the table, and they didn't make the decision until after the last BotCon because they still had feelers out with uh, other possible licensees. Yeah, I mean, we've, we're, we're going off some rumors that have, I guess, come from people that maybe we'll leave unnamed for the moment, uh, but stuff that came from some various other conventions occurring at the time, uh, that FunPub did lose the license because of everything everybody had been wanting them to lose the license about. Yeah, it was just that... Uh, it hasn't that... really been confirmed officially. I mean, this this is all, like I said, stuff that is not on the official record. Uh, but probably never will be on the official record. Probably, probably never not. will be on the official record. Uh, but reliable sources have said, uh, and I'm not talking just people who post a message boards with, like, badly photocopied, <laughs> tweaked art of things, uh, no. but reliable sources uh, have said that it does have a lot to do with all the things that people wanted them to lose the license for. Uh, that has to do with things like the credit card problems and the golden ticket and things costing as much as they do. Yeah, it was just a, a snowballing of effects that finally somebody at the right level of Hasbro found out about this shit and was like, wait, What? I was like, yeah, no, we're taking that away. I mean, the, I think really just the saddest thing is that it took 12 years for that to happen. Yeah, it, yeah. like the credit card thing was five years ago. Five years ago, ago yeah. you know? It should have happened yeah. 
sometime after that. Yeah, I mean, even even before that, if the pricing, if the pricing package concerns were actually an issue, then that started right from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was always. I had a big problem with the non-toy pre-registration package, which was basically charging you a hundred dollars to go to the show on Friday. Yeah. Uh, and, Although it also you know, gives you access to the souvenirs, but that's still. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it doesn't get you the souvenirs though. No. It gets you access to the souvenirs. Gets you uh, it did. It didn't get you to any of the events or anything. Uh, as you know, a friend of mine found out, uh, and then Brian Savage himself could not understand, could not fathom that she was not there with her boyfriend, that she didn't have anybody to buy a, a mini-con add-on pack with. She was there with herself, uh, which was great because she's one of the, you know, longer-standing fandom people I've known. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, stuff like a pack, a, a pricing option, a pre-registration option that's almost literally just $100 to get in on Friday, uh, just making you buy the full toy package to even get into any of the other stuff. Stuff like that's been going on since the beginning. Yeah, it's just been more and more bullshit on top of both. Because the golden ticket's like, what, four years old or so? Something like that. It started after the credit card question abilities, and and they've never updated their... Well, they have updated their their online stuff, but it's not really updated because it's... They were running on facts until like six years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's... Well, yeah, probably still running more recent. And (sighs) then they had to charge you an extra fee to basically say, fuck you guys for wanting to use credit cards. Oh, right. Yeah, they said that was going to be only like a one-year thing, and that I think that's still going on till now. (sighs) Yeah, so, I mean, I am sad that it took as long as it did. Uh... There was a lot of discussion after it was confirmed that BotCon was being taken away from FunPub as to whether it would be given to someone else, uh, whether, again, rumor from reliable sources had it that nobody had really bitten on it yet. Yeah, like, Uh, I think it was a rumor of a rumor that they'd offered it to some people to run other cons, and they're like, no, we got enough on our Yeah. I think part of it, and and I would have been happy with this uh, even before the the Hasco, uh, Hascon trademark uh, was just that Hasbro has such a big presence at other conventions now uh, that the fandom is so mainstream now. But I mean, very few fandoms get their own conventions anymore. Yeah, it's like well, there's Godzilla and there's some other things, but but specific ones. This is probably the biggest, and it's still. It's less than they get at their SDCC booth during SDCC. Yeah, a, yeah. a few years ago, I was talking to Aaron Archer in the bar at BotCon in Dallas, and he said that more people come through their space at SDCC than come to BotCon. So, you know, there were a lot of thoughts that maybe they were just going to focus their efforts on fan conventions because, I mean... Even geek culture as a whole has become so mainstream that things tend to be just part of these bigger conventions now. Uh, so, you know, I was thinking it might go in that direction. Uh, but, yeah, it looks like it's possible. I do sort of wonder, and I think this is sort of something that we're all going to be wondering for a little bit now, is whether this Hascon thing means that all the conventions are going to be under one roof or if there are going to be sub-conventions for the biggest brands like Transformers, uh, maybe My Little Pony, though. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's problems with it, but Hascon, it, it implies Hasbrocon is like all of the stuff under one roof, which is G.I. Joe, Transformers, My Little Ponies, which could be problematic, but you never know. Yeah. Gem and the Holograms. Yeah, Gem and the Holograms. Yeah. Anything I mean, I, I also remember, and, and this was a big complaint that I had with Fun Pub was that they were very, 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, the people running it were not diverse. And I, I say this as someone who was sort of 3H's diversity. Uh, you know, I, I was the, the female voice for them. Uh, but they really felt like, like I said, I, I had a friend who specifically when, you know, complaining to Brian Savage that her, whatever they call it, non-toy pre-reg package wouldn't get her in the dinner, uh, that, you know, he, he could not fathom that she was not there with a boyfriend who she could have gotten an add-on package with. Uh, and I remember talking again to Aaron Archer at, it was one of the Pasadena ones, but it was basically shortly after Transformers Animated had started. And that was right around when we started seeing this huge uptick in the number of, uh, not just women, but girls of hmm. these like, high school, especially college age, 20-something girls who would come up that show up in cosplay. They would come, <laughs> a lot of them in in robot cosplay and a lot of them in, uh, like, humanized cosplay. Uh, and this is even before the whole uh, human avatar thing and more than meets the eye. So this was a, a creative thing that they would do. And, and Aaron Archer noted to me, because, you know, he remembered – Talking, you know, we would talk about this sort of stuff back in the day when, when I was the diversity in the organization group for the convention. Uh, he noted that a lot more female fans were showing up, uh, both older and younger. And I think that had a lot to do with the creative people that they brought in for Transformers Animated. Uh, because yeah. Teen Titans had had a huge female fan base. It had had a lot of girls of that age. Uh, and I think a lot of them gave Transformers Animated a chance because of Derek Wyatt and because of, you know, the rest of the creative team on it. And they came and they liked it and they stayed. And now they're reading more than meets the eye and getting into big debates about it on Tumblr. Uh, but I think that the people running, I think that Fun Pub never really understood that demographic at all no. i kind of feel like it it continued to happen despite them <laughs> yes i mean i personally i i was joking on twitter during this last botcon that you know i always kind of felt like the the trickster god crashing the party at fun pub botcons uh you know i was very secure about my place in the fandom, but I felt like I was someone who they did not expect to be there and did not know what to do with and were not expecting to show up at the convention. Yeah, the botcons became more and more... It's a place to meet your friends who go to the convention because they like Transformers. You're not so much enjoying the botcon they're presenting. You're making your own fun. Yeah. Whereas I think going forward, you know, I think whatever happens next needs to embrace more, maybe do something like a cosplay pageant like a lot of anime conventions oh, yeah. do. Not just the anime uh, conventions, all comic book conventions. It's, oh, yeah. It's weird yeah. that Transformers hasn't, that BotCon hasn't done that. And I think a lot of that is because cosplay is not exclusively a female expression, but it's a very heavily female expression. Yeah, and yes. it's one that Fun Pub didn't know what to do with. No, they didn't even really do that much with, like, the Artist Alley and stuff in the art shows. Yeah. Which is that, a standard comic book convention. Though. Yeah. That really bothered me because I, that was part of what I did for 3H was running the art room. And I just, it just felt like such an afterthought. And it mm -hmm. was even worse because when they started doing it, they brought their G.I. Joe assumptions to it. <laughs> Which is that G.I. Joe is a toy line very heavily based on all being in scale with each other, which is exactly <laughs> yeah. what Transformers, Transformers has had a problem with forever. Since day one. So when they start putting this emphasis on, like, diorama contests, and I'm like, I've been running the convention art show for a couple years now, and I've seen maybe enough dioramas to count on one hand. That's not what this fandom does, but because no. uh, the Transformers diorama, for one, would be at least twice the size as a Joe diorama. Yeah, and it would have to require a lot of homemade figures. 
it would have to require a lot of kit bash figures. Yeah. yeah. Because to, to make them in scale with each other. Uh, which a lot of people, some people do, and it's really great, but that was such a small part of it, doing dioramas with them. Well, yeah, well, like a G.I. Joe diorama, you make some little buildings and some trees and some grass. With Transformers, you got to build Cybertron. Yeah. <laughs> That's not you easy. could have the little trees, yes, but you, half you, the people you, are going to want to down. You can't go down to your local game shop and look at their, like, you know, Warhammer board supplies and use that for your diorama. You've got to get, like actual weird metal stuff. So that, that, yeah, that, that was a problem. So it always felt like fun pub started that because Brian Savage was a GF Joe fan, right? A 12 inch Joe fan. Yeah. That's probably important to note. I, I feel like he is really the like classic stereotypical 12 inch Joe collector. He is an older, financially stable, conservative white man. Yeah. Yeah. Transformers fans are not as such. There was something that I had noticed back in the 3H days, which was that BotCon from 1994 to 2004 was slowly... The demographic was slowly edging away from being like a sci-fi convention to being like a comic convention. Hmm. And what that means is that it went from being largely older people, college age and up, who were, you know, I'm going to be polite here, but nerds. Hmm. You know, it's the more socially awkward and, and keep in mind, I started going in 95, so yeah, I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking about myself as well here. Uh, and it started moving towards being that slightly younger, quote, cooler group. It went from being nerds to geeks, basically. It went from being your Star Trek fans to your Star Wars fans. And I feel like with Fun Pub, it started sliding back. Hmm. Into being this very niche, hardcore, very, very toy based, very serious business audience and very, you know, financially stable white male audience. Yes. I mean, it seems like Fun Pub started with just a carbon copy of their G.I. Joe convention model. Mm-hmm. And after a few years, they dropped what they had been doing from G.I. Joe that hadn't been working for Transformers and replaced it with nothing. Yeah. Yes. And then doubled down on what was working, which was basically turning the convention into a gigantic merch booth. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that really, really bothered me. Yeah. Like, even the guests, half the time, it seemed like they were there because Fun Pub could get people to buy tickets to get autographs. IDW would bring the comic guests themselves. Yeah. That is ridiculous. You should not have to count on them to bring their own guests. That's not how these things should work. I mean, I can see making that arrangement if, like, the convention just gives them the booth. Yeah. Yeah. Like, bring all the comic people, set up as much space as you need. Yeah. If you're inviting them to be the attraction, then yeah, you really should be paying their way. Yeah. So, and, and then that left it up to IDW to pick what comic people came, which meant that only current comic people came. You know, they weren't having like Andrew Wildman or uh, maybe Andrew Wildman came for Regeneration One, but I don't think so. Uh, or you didn't have Jeff Senior or these British creators who are going to auto assembly which is now, uh, I think, part of the TF Nation convention. And I know part of that is because that's that's where they live. But on the other hand, you know, it's not like Simon Furman has never been to a BotCon. So having to rely on IDW to pick and choose who came as far as fiction went was – and who – I'm not sure who got to pick and choose. Probably Hasbro picked who was coming for the show. But, but yeah, I don't, the show meaning whatever cartoon was on at the time. Yeah. But yeah, they, 
didn't really seem that excited about guests beyond who they could charge extra money to have signings for, which was super gross. And I really felt like, and this is another one of these things. I was talking to Simon Furman at the, at the bar, actually at Dallas again, uh, the year that he Man, was- I'm gonna have to clean up all these names off the floor. <laughs> well, this is relevant information though. Uh, but the year he was inducted in the Hall of Fame, uh, Fun Pub had actually put him up in a different hotel than the one the convention was at. Uh. Assume that he wasn't going to want to hang out with all the convention people the whole time. And he was like, no, that's it's quite all right, because that used to be one of the most fun things. Uh, like, uh, I think it was 2001 in Durham when we had the Robots in Disguise first Robots in Disguise voice people there who were just a blast. And they were especially a blast in the bar. For instance, <laughs> Wangus drinking all night. Uh, I think Ben Yi said he saw Wankus drinking there at like three in the morning. And, and I saw him, I saw Wankus going to a, uh, a panel the next morning. It's like, hey Wankus, you hung over? And he said, nope, still drunk. Uh, is Wankus his legal name? No, not unless okay. he's changed it. That's his performing okay. name. Okay. <laughs> but Still. but yes. Uh, so that that whole convention bar experience was a lot of the fun, and I really felt I felt like Fun Pub has tried to go out of their way to sequester the guests away from the fans. And I think that part, a lot of that is so they can charge for our autographs because we would just bring whatever to the bar and get it autographed. Yeah, it just and seems like, crazy to sit with it. Like little small, it's not like movie stars or something who need escorts or something. At least you have voice actors get an escort, but they mingle. Ah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing was, was Simon intentionally pointedly went to the convention hotel bar to hang out with the fans at the bar because that was part of what he enjoyed about it. Yeah. And they, but yeah, they put him in a hotel down the street so that he wouldn't have to be with the convention people, but he wanted to be with the convention people. And honestly, I think that says a lot about the attitude of theirs is that yeah, they assumed want- that no one would actually want to hang out with us. Yeah, you, you want to, Hang out with those people. You don't just want their money. Yeah. You don't so, want to go home and wash after seeing them. No, goddamn fun pub. <laughs> so, it's kind of the problem with fun pub in a nutshell. It was not a convention yeah. by us. It was a convention by them and occasionally hiring a few of us to make it seem like it's by us. Yeah. yeah. The, and I, I, probably haven't mentioned before we'll, we'll get into a little more name dropping but i <laughs> i did have a chance to to work on fiction for them and i think the best metaphor is the uh the women in tech problem which is how do you expect women to work in an environment that is actively hostile towards them i even though the people who are working with them at the time were people who are friends of mine and who I do not consider hostile to progressive politics or queer identity or women, uh, but who I, you know, I don't think I would have had, I would have been taken seriously by anyone above them. Hmm. And therefore I didn't want to, to work for the people above them, even if I would have just been working with my friends. Yeah. Uh, Worth noting that many of those friends eventually quit over that same reason. Yeah. That, because that lack of they pay. Were just, well, yeah, lack of pay was also an issue. Uh, so. And racist uh, Facebook posts. Yeah. That was also an issue. Yeah. Uh, so with Hascon, see, I was, my, my hope, my big hope was going to be that the next licensees would be fans. Yeah, but it well, sounds like the next licensees maybe Hasbro. <laughs> which is the next best thing. It's still a yeah. step up. Yeah. Because at least Hasbro inherently gets what they're doing. They 
get the appeal of the brand. They get why people care about Transformers. And they clearly, I mean, judging from the the Chrome Dome and Rewind on display at BotCon, they clearly get the importance of allowing for a diverse fandom. And you know, Oh yeah, it's, it's like the design team and stuff who are setting up the booth. Yeah. So they're people who I think are going to be willing to embrace, you know, those those more traditionally female fan expressions. Uh and I like cosplay and art and I think that they're just going to be overall friendlier. Uh, I am still very curious to see if we get a Transformers convention all by itself, though. Yeah. Well, we'll Might even be better on the second front if we don't. Maybe. Like, if there's just a Hasbro art contest and then cosplay is one of the categories, so you have people dressed up as G.I. Joe characters or human versions of ponies or the misfits. That would be cool, though. Yes. Yeah, it seems like the convention would be free to have more overlap and a broader set of activities if it is just like all the Hasbro property umbrellas instead of one brand specific. Yeah, and just imagine having convention exclusives from a bunch of different things. Like you get Transformers and Joe and Ponies all at the same place. Yeah, I mean, it it would be pretty cool. I I would get behind it, I admit. But it... I guess I couldn't really see much of a downside except having to deal with bronies, who I really just yeah. fought for yeah. basically ignoring everything prior to Friendship is Magic. Yeah, well, it, it, it would be <laughs> dealing with bronies and dealing with Joe fans, because Joe fans are slightly different, maybe younger version or older versions of bronies, but I wouldn't imagine it would be that bad if everybody else is also there. Yeah. Hopefully the Transformers fans will balance everything out. I mean, the thing is, as far as Hasbro's self-owned properties right now, Transformers is really the elephant in the room. Yep. Yeah. It's it's the biggest thing. I mean, the pony thing was pretty popular, and it's sort of, you know, as far as that particular audience, it's sort of easing off. You know, I still have women pony fans I know who are still as enthusiastic about it as they have been since, you know, Gen 3 and Gen 2. Uh, so it's it's not like that group's going to go away. I think the, the problematic pony fans are sort of getting over the fad. They'll uh, find new things to look at. They'll, they'll go away. They'll, maybe they'll just go be actual furries and, you know... Yeah. <laughs> Leave the rest of who us who alone. has the license for the Zootopia toys? Ah, uh, well, it's Disney. I think I think Hasbro's got everything Disney now. But yeah, I mean, ponies ponies are big, but they're not Transformers big. Uh, and like I said, that as a as a huge fad is sort of declining. Uh, GI Joe. Well, we know about GI Joe. Yeah, it, it's. It's slowly trucking along, slower and slower. They don't get many toys anymore, other than the convention toys, so they're going to yeah. be shit out of luck. They, they're, Hasbro's clearly trying to drum up interest in Micronauts and ROM, and if they do it well, they could get some of that interest, but it's still not yeah. Transformers interest. So I think that it's really probably going to end up being you know, Transformers convention guest starring Gem. Which would be cool. I I could I'd I need to do some new gem dolls that aren't just collector aimed. Yeah. That'd be nice. Although, <laughs> but, oh, but, oh, know, after that last movie. Well, well it, it yeah. Movie, but it, that just, great. just imagine a convention that's Colt Slither versus the Misfits. Oh <laughs> so good. Yes. So good. These things are possible in the future, maybe. Hopefully, it'd be nice. Yeah. So, yeah, I could get behind it. I'd be curious to see. Maybe they'd just run it in Pawtucket, Rhode Island every year. Yeah, that's another thing. Well, it'd be nice if they alternated East Coast and West Coast, because the, the Botcom conventions were 
way too much on the West Coast, and then they'd be in a weird spot. It's like, no, no, ultimately, go, go to Hollywood every once in a while for for actors and voice actors and whatnot, and then the, every other time it's oh, out in Rhode Island, a nice, quiet New England town. Well, maybe, here's an idea, they could go the PAX route and have and two of them. Yeah. That, maybe, might be a bit much, who knows. The thing is, Hasbro isn't going to be as stingy with resources as, for instance, Fun Pub was. Yeah. Yeah. So they're going to be willing to fly people in from California to wherever they choose to be. Yeah. Providence wasn't a bad place for the convention. No, Providence. The building tour was really cool. No, Providence, I I, want to go to Providence because I want to go on a Lovecraft tour. (laughs) I want it back there. (laughs) That'd be pretty cool. Uh but yeah, I mean, Providence wasn't a bad place at all. I think I had some issues with the convention center because I'm extremely acrophobic, and I think that was one of the ones where it was like everything was up on the third floor and everything was super open. But yeah, that I don't expect the center was an Escher print. Yeah, or yeah, even somewhere else in the area. I mean, Boston's not really that far. Or Hartford is closer. I forget. I haven't, I haven't been up in New England in a while. You would drive through Hartford on your way to uh, Rhode Island. So, so yeah, I don't think that that would be a bad idea, and I don't think that having it, having two of them would be a bad idea. No, that'd be nice. I, I, I do think that the nice thing is that it being run by Hasbro, if, and it's also entirely possible that the Transformers convention and maybe the Joe convention could still end up being their own individual things. Yeah. And uh, then Hasbro. I don't know about the Joe convention be, as much. Well, okay. At the very least, at least roll Joe into Transformers. Come on, come on over here. We ain't got nothing to look at. Here, look at the robot toys. (laughs) We're gonna sell some robot toys. Ooh, some of them come with little figures. You like little figures? Sorry, this one's an homage to one of those vehicle things you used to get. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Want to transform his tank? Come on, we're gonna get one eventually. I know we are. One of these. I'm sure. (laughs) So. It, that that would be interesting to see too if maybe just Hascon is going to be for this cinematic I don't think they could do a convention that was entirely just like Micronauts and ROM and no. whatever other well, small non Transformers like, properties. If you did Transformers and Joe convention and then a convention that's everything else they sell, maybe, but that one I don't know if you get as many people. No, that's the thing is I don't think you would get many people. No, you get some, but I feel like the uh, whole intent behind doing a big tent approach would necessitate having Transformers as a tent pole. Yeah, Yeah, I think it would basically, like I said, it would be Transformers guest starring everything else. (laughs) Especially because I think Botcon is really the has been well become the biggest established. Hasbro-related convention. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the pony cons are really more small regional things akin to anime conventions. I was going to say more along the lines of, you could say that given their Star Wars exclusivity, the big Star Wars fan conventions might count. Yeah, well, but yeah. that's only sort of kind of Hasbro. They're, they're a part of it, but not the mass of it. Yeah. All right, so I think we've about worn out this subject for the time being. Yes. Oh, there, there was oh, another yeah. thing. There's more scouting filming for Transformers 5. Yay. I forgot to mention. Well, it's, it's Stonehenge. It's not the first time Transformers have gone to Stonehenge. Yeah. I doubt it'll have any film. No. All I know is I saw some casting thing with, like, some 12-year-old. I, and I was yeah, like... I, I Yay. <laughs> I can't even remember who's going to be in it. Is, is Marky Mark coming back? Marky Mark is coming back, and based on that character description Jen is talking about, he's not going to be the uh, focal point character, so they can do the whole, meet the Transformers again thing. That <laughs> yes, from the point of view really of a child, be... that'd be okay. Guess. It's all they do in I'm... the movies. It's the one part of their plot that works. <laughs> yeah. This is true. That, that is the best part of the first movie. And then the second and third movies don't work because they don't have that. No. no. 
they lose that. Well, the second movie didn't work because it didn't have a script. But there, there are, that is one of the reasons is because it didn't have that factor to it. Yeah. Still, I'm, I'm more excited about this than I am at the prospect of more DC movies. I suppose. We have a slightly better director. The difference is, I won't feel compelled to go see any more DC movies. No. Yeah. <laughs> I will feel compelled, compelled as a Transformers fan. Yeah. I'm excited for the Ben Affleck solo movie. Yeah, that could be interesting. He seems to have the character pretty well in hand. And he wrote it. Yeah. Okay, there's that. So there you- Ooh, I wonder what a Michael Bay written Transformers movie would be. Oh, wait, we had Transformers 2. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh. Anywho, uh, is that about like it? Like a Pat Lee written Transformers movie. Uh, yeah, I think that's all that we have to cover this week. Uh, so we will be back next week. Uh, like I said, I believe we will be back with tears, uh, <laughs> by which I mean some more more than meets the eye. The and Dying of the Light, part two. And then whatever news has happened between now and then. So until then, uh, this has been Jen. And Alex. And David. Could you could, could you pause talking for a second? Wait a second. What's going on, David? I just did something really weird to me. Oh, I guess you can't uh, hear Okay. Well, we'll call that a cut place. Hopefully some of it's not recorded because that was a big long speech I was giving. Oof. I can't even <laughs> hear David. Yeah, I don't hear David talking.